Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Father, I'm, I'm grateful um, that as we look at the Word, your Word says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and Lord, it's easy for us to look in that, and I see Moses and David and all kinds of people that are mentioned. But Lord, I'm thankful that you put people here that, um, that I, can, I can put my hand on his shoulder and say thanks. Thanks for allowing us as people um, to watch someone that is not perfect but perfectible and uses the platform that he has been given to preach Jesus. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bye, Russell. Thank you. I once read that wild game hunters had devised a simple way to capture monkeys. They would just put a banana and some nuts inside a jar chained to a pole, and the neck of the jar was so narrow that once the monkey grabbed the banana, they couldn't get the fist out of the neck of the jar, and they wouldn't let go. They wouldn't release the banana. And when the hunters arrived, the monkey has to let go of the treat and, and take off, but he won't let go, grabbing on. Now, when I first read that, I thought, that's not true. No animal is that dumb. But then again, I've seen human beings who are ensnared by Satan the very same way. First Timothy 6, 9, and 10 reads, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Those who have a consuming passion to get rich and hold on to it are often ensnared and enslaved by riches. They neglect their family, they ruin their health, they lose their joy, they forget their God. Now, this is such a relevant topic for us men because it's been said that the four most insidious and continuous temptations we face are pride, lust, anger, and greed. Not necessarily in that order. That's one of the reasons that about half of Jesus' parables have to do with the right attitude toward money on the part of those who follow him. And this morning, I've been assigned one of those parables about stewardship. It's a very familiar parable of the rich fool found in the Gospel of Luke, the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 13. You guys have your Bibles. I'm not going to put this scripture on the screen. Open up your Bibles to Luke 12. I'm going to begin reading with verse uh, 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a rich, certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. 
And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You fool. This night, very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Now this guy is kind of the patron saint of the modern business leader. He, uh, he's living the American dream. He's going to make wise investments. He is uh, pro planning to prosper for the future. He, he, he write a book, How I Prospered and Got a Fortune on the Farm. Why did Jesus call this rich man a fool? Well, he didn't call him a fool because he was ambitious. Jesus wasn't saying it's a sin to be a driven person, to aspire to better yourself. He's not endorsing lethargy or indolence. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. And if you want to know what the Bible is really saying about something, compare it to other scripture. And elsewhere in scripture, we're taught to make the most of what God has entrusted to us. For example, Proverbs 6 says in verse 6, Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer. It gathers its food in harvest. The ant stores up. The ant's not a fool. So he isn't saying it's, it's wrong to store up anything. Or in Matthew and in the New Testament, Jesus told the parable of the man with five talents and the man with two talents who doubled their gift. And the master didn't say to the man with five talents, you greedy capitalist pig. You've got 10 talents now? There's a poor guy over here who only has one talent. You give at least five of your talents to that one who has none. No, he said, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Then he said to the man who had one talent and did nothing with it, you, you wicked, lazy servant, you'd be cast into outer darkness. So obviously, it's not wrong for us to be ambitious it's healthy to want to make the most of our time here on the earth because we want to hear the Lord say, well done. We don't want to hear him say, you wicked, lazy servant. And this man in Luke 12 was not called a fool because he wanted to accumulate more than he needed. Jesus wasn't saying it's wrong to have a nest egg, accumulate some things. You can't gather more than your basic needs. No, the Bible doesn't teach socialism. Everybody's to have equal status. King David went from being a poor shepherd boy to being a very wealthy king. Or read in the book of 1 Kings, the 10th chapter, it tells you about Solomon and the incredible wealth that he had. And David is called a man after God's own heart. Solomon's called the wisest man who ever lived. Or in the New Testament, Jesus had close friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who had a home big enough to entertain all of Jesus' disciples and feed them and uh, Mary had an alabaster jar of perfume that she had saved up. It was worth a year's wages. She poured out on Jesus' feet. So the Bible doesn't condemn a person because they are wealthy or they have more than somebody else. Now, the Bible doesn't teach a particular economic system. It doesn't endorse capitalism. Uh, but it does give us the right to own property. Thou shalt not steal. And it does encourage us to work hard. And socialism undermines uh, hard work and 
It encourages laziness. Winston Churchill once said, the main vice of capitalism is the uneven distribution of prosperity. The main vice of socialism is the even distribution of misery. 1 Corinthians 6.16 says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. It doesn't say, command those who are rich in this present world to give it all away. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is really life. And he's saying, if you have more, if you have some wealth, You stay humble. Don't be arrogant. You trust God. You be generous with others in need. And you enjoy what God has given and give Him glory. It is not wrong to accumulate some things. Why then did Jesus label this person a fool? What did He do that was so wrong? He was a fool because His possessions were His God. His possessions were His priority. He never thanks God for what's been given. He never mentions tithing his harvest. He never acknowledges God's the giver of every good gift. He doesn't thank God for the fertile soil, the abundant rain, the daily sunshine, the cool breeze. And the Bible says the fool is a person who says in his heart, no God. He just lived as though God didn't exist. And he was a a fool. Remember how uh, Jesus in Mark 10 met a rich young ruler. A, a, A young man came running up to him and said, Master, what must I do? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that's an evangelist dream. It's like being a car salesman. Somebody walks in, hey, I want to buy a car. And this guy says, I, I, I want to be saved. What do I have to do? And we'd whip out the four spiritual laws or we'd uh, go the Roman road and we'd have this guy converted in an hour. But Jesus looked at him and said, why do you call me good? He didn't seem all that impressed with his enthusiasm. And he said, no one's good but God alone. And then Jesus said, you know the commandments. Uh, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And the young man said, teacher, I've, I've done all these things since I was a boy. I've kept them all. I really doubt that. I don't know if anybody keeps all the commandments. But Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He says he loved him. One thing you do lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, Jesus never required that of anybody else. Why does he say to this rich young man in Luke 16, about come, or Mark 10, why, why does he say, sell everything you have? Doesn't say any, that to anybody else. It's because this man's money was his God. And he was breaking the very first commandment, which says, you should have no other gods before me. And Jesus was illustrating, I'm going to tell you what your, your problem is. Money's your God. Go sell it all. Give it all away. Come follow me. And then the Bible says, at this the man's face fell, and he went away sad. Because he had great wealth. He was sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around at the disciples and said, how hard it is for a man to enter the kingdom of God who is rich. And it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples said, wow, who can be saved? And Jesus said, well, with God, all things are possible. I read that story in Mark 10, and I wonder, would I have let this man walk away as a preacher? I mean, he's a rich man. I think I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was just speaking in hyperbole here. You know, uh, let, let's, let's start with 2% and gravitate up a little bit. You know, this, this guy be an elder in the church in, in, a, in, a, in a year, you know. 
But this rich farmer is, is this was like the rich young ruler. Money mattered most. He was a fool because God didn't matter. And he's also a fool because he's totally selfish. He cares nothing for others. Look at verse 17 and 18. How many times he mentions himself. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my, and my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store up my surplus grain. In that one little paragraph, he mentions himself eight times. No concern for others. In 1 John 3, the Bible says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? He lived as though there was no God, and he evidenced that by the fact he didn't care about other people. And he was a fool because he ignored his mortality. His hopes were in this world only. He said, God said, you fool, tonight you're going to die. You're going to leave all these things behind. Then are who these things going to be? Imagine a resident of Lahaina in Maui couple months ago. And he looks up and here comes this raging fire down the hillside, 30 mile an hour wind, consuming everything. And he hears the warning to evacuate. And he gathers up quickly. He's got five minutes. He gathers up all his money, all his cash, all his valuables. And he puts them in, in a box. And he takes that box and he puts it in the attic. And he sits there and waits. What would you call that man? You call a guy a fool. And yet the Bible says, this earth is going to be consumed by fire and we're going to leave it all behind. And yet we store it up here as though this is all there is. In fact, in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6, 7, and 8, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Jesus said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses because one day he's going to leave it all behind and stand before God. And he, God's not going to be very impressed with your portfolio. He's going to know about character and compassion for other people and how you worshiped and who you are inside. If that's true, life, we, we see examples of that all around us. Life is more than what we have. Why? Do people crave more and more possessions when it's repeatedly demonstrated that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions? One reason is they have a misconception about happiness. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of he possesses, but we somehow think it does. Because like the rich fool who says, I can have these things and I'll be merry, I can party, I can have fun. We remember how happy we were as a child when our parents gave us that ball glove or that bicycle. And we want to reproduce that. Or we see the joy in our kids' eyes when we give them that video game. Or we hear our wife squeal with delight when she receives a gift of expensive jewelry. And we want to reproduce that experience. So we keep driving to get more, so we can be happy. We don't remember that that happiness was short-lived, or there's a law of increased appetite and diminishing return that takes over. You gotta have more to have the same thrill from things. Joe Burrow signed, what, $200 million contract with the Cincinnati Bengals several months ago, something like that. Incredible amount of money. Do you think Joe Burrow's happy today? Well, the Bengals are, what, one and three, one and four. They're not winning, and the fans are grumbling, and Joe Burrow's been hurt a little bit, 
I, I don't think he's happy because he's got all that money. He, he's dissatisfied because he's not producing the way he wanted to produce. I had a friend back in, in this church when I was in my 20s. He wanted to own a Corvette all his young life. And he was a school teacher, so his chances were slim. But he, he was single, so his chances were enhanced. And he... <laughs> He bought, he went out and got money and he bought this beautiful blue Corvette. But he didn't have it very long before he discovered it was more trouble than it was worth. It didn't bring a lot of happiness because he was worried that somebody's going to steal it. So he put an alarm on it and one night there was a windstorm and the alarm went off and woke up everybody in the apartment and they were all mad at him because the alarm awakened them. And then he was worried about people chipping the paint off it. And so when he parked his car at the apartment, he would park it diagonally and take up two parking places. Then he get nasty notes on his car the next morning. So he started parking the car way down at the end of the parking lot. He had to walk a long way from his car to his apartment. And uh, then he, he, some people in the church would say, boy, I wish I was a school teacher, made that kind of money. And people weren't very happy with him. And then one day we were out playing softball and this strange storm came and it started to hail all of a sudden, a hail about the size of, of uh, marbles and we all ran to get under the shelter and Ronnie ran laid over his car trying to protect it from the, from the storm and he discovered that Corvette didn't bring him happiness it was short lived it brought a lot of agony Hebrews 5, 13 5 says keep your lives free from the love of money be content with what you have because God has said never will I leave you nor will I forsake you some get consumed with money and hoarding up like this rich fool out of a desire for security the farmer said, I can say to myself, you got plenty of grain for many years. Take, eat, drink, and be merry. I'm secure. And none of us likes the anxiety of not knowing if you have enough to provide for your family or to retire in comfort, to secure your family's future. And if we can accumulate enough, then we can be at peace and not worry. But Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. It's meaningless. Enough is never enough. Inflation eats away. Stock market can collapse. Uh, potential lawsuits, disastrous accidents, disease. Owsley Fraser, one of the wealthiest men in Louisville, he was a big benefactor. Our, our community's better because he, he gave. We got the Fraser Museum, all the donations that he made. But when Owsley Fraser, toward the end of his life, had arthritis so bad he was confined to a wheelchair for almost, a, I think, a decade, I said to one of his doctors, I'll bet Owsley Fraser would give up half his wealth if he could be healthy. And the doctor shook his head and said, no, he'd give it all. What good is it have all that money and not be able to walk? It doesn't bring security because the Bible says you don't know what will happen tomorrow. Some keep storing up goods as a source of self-esteem. If you're a competitor and you're in the business world, you get your ego from accumulation more than others. Uh, you're, and you, from competing with yourself. Your, your net worth is directly tied to your self-worth. And some people who, the Bible says, those who want to get rich, uh, they want to compete and they don't have the resources to do it, so they fake it and they buy the $100,000 car and they live in a mansion and $5,000 suits and, and the Charlie Vettner Country Club and, and they got all this wealth to store up to impress people. Proverbs eleven twenty six says, people curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who's willing to sell. And they, they want to impress people, but the people they want to impress aren't really impressed, they resent it. 
Did you see the response to Oprah Winfrey's appeal for donations to a fund to help the residents of Maui? Since she has property on Maui, she made this public appeal for people to donate. And the commoners there resented it. They said, she's a billionaire. She could donate millions and never miss it. And she's asking average people to give. They didn't admire her because they're well. And when we try to our ego impress people with wealth, and many times they resent it. One other reason, even though we know that money doesn't bring happiness or security, we still store it up. It's sometimes just an ingrained habit. Ecclesiastes 4, 8 and 9 says, There was a man all alone who had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This is meaningless. This is a miserable business. He said, I'm working hard. I'm trying to accumulate. I look around. Nobody's impressed. Why am I doing this? I'm just doing it out of habit. And it becomes second nature. Some of you were trained as children to, to store up and to hoard and not give away. And you get in the habit and just you keep doing it. I can tell you of an older couple in this community who have millions. And they're in their mid-80s. And the wife has to try to hide her social security check from the husband because he wants to put it in savings. He's afraid she's going to spend it on something frivolous. Look, when you get to be my age, spend it on something frivolous because you don't, you don't have the chance many times. You know? Now, what lesson, what lesson can we learn from the rich fool about keeping possessions in perspective? In Luke 12, I see three things that we're to do to be wise stewards and not greedy fools. Now, the last of these three is the most important and the most difficult. Number one, face the reality of death. This world is temporary. The Lord said to the farmer, you fool, tonight you're going to die. We're surrounded every day with reminders of our mortality. Graveyards, funeral homes, doctor's offices, life insurance policies, wrinkles and aging bodies. Yet we ignore it as though we're going to live forever. And some will tell you, don't think about death. It's too morbid. No, face reality. It is appointed unto every person once to die. And be ready for it. Let me just say a word to somebody here who has never accepted Jesus as Savior. Do so while you have the opportunity. Jesus died for your sins and atoning death on the cross. He rose from the dead to prove that through his power you can do it too. He said, I'm the resurrection of life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And that's our only hope. So if you haven't given your life to Christ, do so. Be ready. And when you face the reality of death, it dramatically changes your perspective about what you have. You can enjoy them even more because they're not your God. I've got a friend, Dr. Roy Lawson, used to be the president of Hope International University in California. And Roy began to accumulate a few things, and he bought some toys. He, he bought a boat and a trailer and a Jeep, all new. He was going to have fun on the lake with his family. He didn't have that, those toys very long when his son-in-law said, hey, we're all going up to the lake this weekend. I'm going to take the boat and the Jeep and the trailer. I'll go up a little early. I'll get the boat in the water so that when the rest of you get here, we'll be ready to go in the water, ski and fish and have fun. When Roy Lawson arrived, the son-in-law was sitting on the bank with his head in his hands. He had backed the boat too far down the ramp, and it got some into heavy water, and, sucked, and it sucked the boat and the trailer and the Jeep 
everything underwater. And Roy saw that, and he saw his son-in-law, and he started laughing. And his son-in-law said, I just ruined your boat, your Jeep, and your trailer. Why are you laughing? And he said to his son-in-law, Rick, when you've been through what I've been through, his, uh, he had a son who had committed suicide just a few years before. He had some close friends die. His wife was facing a debilitating disease. And Roy said, when you've been through what I've been through, it's just a Jeep. It's just a Jeep. It's just a house. It's just a shirt. It's just a savings that you're going to leave behind. And you have a whole different perspective about possessions if you face the reality you're going to Naked you came into the world, and naked you're going to leave. It's just a Jeep. We used to sing that song, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full on his wonderful face, and the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The Bible says, set your affections on the things above, not on earthly things. Lift up your eyes. The second thing we need to do is trust the providence of God. Look at the following passage in Luke 12 what Jesus says about possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, verse 22, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or about your body, what you're going to wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the ravens, he says. You never see a raven pacing the limb at night wondering if there'll be enough carcasses or beetles out there the next morning. No, the raven goes to sleep trusting that God's going to provide the next day. God cares more for you than the birds. And he said, consider the flowers, verse 27. Consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Don't set your heart on what you'll eat or drink or worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all these things. Your Father knows you need them. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Well, the wildflowers grow, and they're more beautiful than, than Solomon's clothing. Now notice, Jesus doesn't say, nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. Consider the ravens. I, can, I saw a raven the other day, it was dead. Got hit by a car on the side of the road. And Jesus said, consider the ravens. They, they, they have trouble. Or consider the flowers. What happens then? Well, they dry up and they get thrown in the fire. So he's not saying, trust me and life's going to be easy. You'll never have any problem. You'll never die. No, he's saying, you just trust me one day at a time and I'll provide for you. I like that plaque that says, Lord, help me to remember nothing's going to happen today that you and I can't handle together. So we face the reality of death and day by day we trust God, not our savings account. And then the third thing, most important thing is increase generosity as you get older. He says in verse 32, Luke 12, don't be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. 
He's saying, look, you can't take it with you when you die, but you can send it on ahead. You can make an investment in heaven. You can put your treasure in heaven and God will reward you for that. That's why in the Old Testament, God required the Hebrew people to give 10% of what they earned back to God. 10% of their crops, 10% of their produce, 10% of their flock, 10% of their paycheck was automatically to give to God. And not to give that to God, that tithe was to rob God. Now, in the New Testament, as Christians, we're not required to give 10% to the church. There's no word command in the New Testament. The New Testament just says, now, you give as you've been prospered. Years ago, when we had two little children, our first child was born we had a babysitter who lived right next door. I didn't have to drive her home. She was a good babysitter. She not only babysat, she and was dependable. She did dishes and she folded clothes. We really I said, Patty, how much do you charge for babysitting? She said, a dollar an hour. You can tell that's a long time ago. You guys spending $15, $20 an hour. Then our second child came and I said, well, Patty, your responsibilities have doubled now. What are you going to charge for babysitting? She said, oh, Mr. Russell, you just give me what you want to give. Do you think she expected more or less than a dollar an hour? She expected more. Now, in the Old Testament, God required 10%. In the New Testament, He blesses us with uh, salvation in Christ, the hope of eternal life, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the church, and living in the United States of America and good health. He said, now you just give as you've been prospered. I, I think 10% ought to be the beginning point. Now, I'm not raising money for any funds. I'm not asking for any money. I'm just telling you, if you're going to overcome greed, you learn to be more generous. In fact, Luke 16, 9, look at this verse. It says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Look at that verse, guys. It doesn't say hoard up your earthly wealth so they have more than other people and you're secure. He said you use it. Do your giving while you're living, then you're knowing where it's going, somebody said. So you use worldly wealth, and then when it's gone, you'll be ready to go to heaven. In 1901, Andrew Carnegie sold his steel company to J.P. Morgan for $200 million dollars. On that day, Andrew Carnegie became the richest man in the world. And then once he retired, he spent the rest of his life trying to give away his entire fortune, most of it for educational purposes. And Andrew Car Carnegie said, the man who dies rich dies disgraced. Bob Buford, the author of Halftime, expressed the same philosophy in a different way. He said, may the last check bounce. As a Christian generosity out of ooze, ought to ooze out of our pores because we serve one who gave his life blood for us. And as you give, sacrificially, you avoid greed. You help others. You lay up treasure in heaven. You experience the joy of giving. And you're not a fool hoarding it up here. Uh, John Foster, a friend of mine, said he was tithing the church, but he had more in his latter years than he needed. And he decided he was going to give more to his family. And uh, he told his family, I'm going to, we're going to take a trip to Hawaii. Now he said, when we get to Hawaii, the things we do together, I'm going to pay for everything. Now, if you want to go off and do something by yourself, you feel free to do that, but you have to pay for that. He said, we were never a more together family than we were in Hawaii. <laughs> but he's using his worldly wealth to make friends for himself. I, I, I kind of Try to do that myself. I made a decision years ago. I, 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 I'm, I'm not going to hoard up. I am worth less right now than I was 20 years ago. 
And I feel, don't feel bad about that. I hope I'm laying up treasure in heaven. But you know, I don't, I'm not going to live that much longer. I don't need to store it up. And I told my kids, look, I, when I die, you're not going to inherit a lot of money. I like that bumper sticker that says, no child left to die. And, and so I said, you're not going to inherit a lot of money. But I, I'll give it to you in increments when you need it. You know, people die at 85 and leave a bunch of money to their kids and the kids are 60, they don't need it. When do they need it? Back when they're 35 and 40 and they got kids in college, kids going to school, that's when they need it. That's when they appreciate it. That's when you make friends of yourselves or your kids. So I told my kids, I'm going to give you money while you need it. So every Christmas, depending on how many speaking engagements and things I did, I write them out a very generous check. It's a generous check. I put it in a white envelope. I don't have to buy a gift. I just put the envelope on the tree. It's the grand finale of Christmas. And, and after all the gifts are open, I want to go over and pull off that check off the tree. And my daughter-in-law and my son go over and open it up. And my daughter's-in-law will squeal and come over and give me a hug. And my son comes over and pats me on. Thanks, Dad. I really need it. You bailed me out again. How's your health? You're going to have a lot of speaking engagements next year. You know? <laughs> They're not hoping I die so they get their hands on my wealth. They're hoping I keep on. I, I've made friends of my own kids, of myself, because I'm giving it away. And I, I'm reminded, life does not consist in the abundance of things that we possess. And I would, I would say to you, don't be fooled. It's just a Jeep. What really matters to you? Your God? Your family? Your church? People? And Jesus said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. You know why? Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we live in such a prosperous nation. Thank you that you've given us the right to own property and you've encouraged us to achieve and even accumulate. But help us to be wise and humble, trusting in you. May we learn from this parable today. That a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses, but a man's life consists in knowing Jesus Christ and serving him. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.